God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Well, do keep uh, that reading open in front of you for a few moments, uh, if you would. Uh, I came across this book on the screens a few years ago at Christmas. It was a, a classic stocking filler, really. It's the entertaining and informative worst-case scenario survival handbook, uh, where every uh, double page deals with a different situation with instructions and illustrations to help you whatever you face in life. Um, in the event of a shark attack, what should you do? Um, how do you extract yourself from quicksand? Uh, what should you do if you find yourself in a falling lift? Uh, how to land a plane, deliver a baby, defuse a bomb, and all kinds of other helpful tips and tricks for life. It covers much, uh, pretty much everything in life that could go wrong, and it's very practical. None of those things have happened to me yet, though. And of course, most of them won't happen to me uh, or to you. At least I hope they won't. Uh, but of course, that doesn't mean we won't face some tough things in our lives. I wonder if I said to you, what would the worst case scenario be for you? What would come straight away to your mind? What is that, the life circumstance that you might imagine at home or at work or maybe more widely in the world that just makes you think, what would I do if that happened? Uh, this morning we've heard Psalm 46. The Psalms are the Bible's hymns and prayers. And they express the whole range of, of human life and emotion, if you know them well. Some are joyful, some are full of grief, some express confusion, others thanksgiving. And this psalm, this short psalm, is in many ways about how we respond in the worst case scenario, when life throws danger and uncertainty at us, whether it's earthquakes and floods in verses 2 and 3, Political chaos in verse 6, or war and conflict in verses 8 to 10. 
The psalm's message, verse 1, is this. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Now that's a big claim to make, isn't it? Uh, it is a message of great hope, and it's a message which I think we need to hear in 2023, just as much as those people who heard that psalm for the first time. Um, it's a psalm that is written to encourage God's people, uh, not by claiming that things really aren't all that bad. Sometimes they are. We all know that, whether from our own lives or just turning on the news. Now, it's a psalm to encourage us that even when things are bad, God is our refuge, our strength, and our help. The psalm's message in a broken and chaotic world is that we need not fear. And that in a world of conflict and fighting, there is hope. The fighting will end one day. And again, that's very much a message for 2023, isn't it? On this day when we remember those who lost their lives in the Great War more than 100 years ago, as well as all those who have suffered in conflicts since, including in wars that take place even as we sit here this morning. What can we say in the face of the worst-case scenarios? First of all, in God, we have a refuge in times of trouble. I don't know if um, any of you recognise uh, the character at the top of that picture there. Uh, maybe familiar to some, I don't know. When I was much younger, uh, among my favourite books were the Asterix the Gaul books. You may have come across them, uh, or you may have not. Uh, some cartoon stories about a, an indomitable tribe of Gauls living in, I guess, what would now be Brittany in about 50 BC, fighting off the might of the Roman Empire with the help of some magic potion. Um, this is Vital Statistics who is the chief of the tribe of Gauls. And at the beginning of every story, as we're introduced to the main characters, we are told this. Majestic, brave, and hot-tempered, respected by his men and feared by his enemies. Vital Statistics himself has only one fear. He is afraid the sky may fall on his head tomorrow. But as he always says, tomorrow never comes. Well, if you had only one fear, what would it be? The horrors of war are not in the direct experience for most of us, are they? Except via the First World War poetry we read at school, or the things we see on TV. But even if you've not been in war, maybe you do fear its repercussions. Maybe it's the future impact of climate change which plays on your mind, or inflation, or other stuff in politics. Or more personally, maybe what we fear involves our children uh, or other members of our family or our job, our financial security or our health. If you look at the psalm, verses 2 and 3 sound pretty apocalyptic, don't they? The earth gives way and the mountains fall into the sea. It's a description of everything that seems most solid being swept away. It's the devastation of earthquakes and hurricanes and floods the so-called natural world, at its most dangerous. Of course, the Christian understanding of what we quite often simply call nature is that it's all part of God's creation, made by him and subject to him. It's never out of his control or beyond his power, however destructive it may sometimes be. And so the writer of this psalm 
We don't know exactly who it was, except that he was a believer in the Lord God Almighty. He can say with confidence, even if the worst happens, even if everything is swept away by earthquake or flood, we will not fear. Verse 2. Why? Because God remains our strength and our refuge, not the world. We trust in someone greater than the chaos and danger, more permanent and unshifting even than the mountains. He is literally our refuge, our safe place. And he is with us. The God we worship is not absent, he's not distant, but as the psalm says, he is our ever-present help in trouble. And many Christians down through the years have found they can say exactly that in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. Have you tried seeking the Lord's help in the midst of your troubles and things that you fear? Secondly, in God we have reassurance in a world which is often chaotic. Verses 4 to 7. These verses seem to give us a picture of a city under siege. In this case, it's the city of God's people. I imagine being besieged must be one of the most, well, both unpleasant and terrifying experiences that anyone might face. Think of some of the images we saw from Ukraine last year. Surrounded by enemies, bombarded by missiles, prevented from escaping or from getting supplies in. It's chaos. Nations in uproar, as the psalm says. Kingdoms rising and falling. Again, this is written 3,000 years ago, but it's very familiar. But amidst the chaos, amidst the destruction of verses 2 and 3, in verse 4, there is a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. In a besieged city, I guess a lack of fresh water can often be one of the most acute problems very, very quickly. So the image here is one of provision and of refreshment. In the holy place where the Most High dwells, there are streams of water to make the city glad. A storm may be raging around outside the walls, but in this place you are safe, provided for, even among the chaos. I don't know if you've ever worn any of those noise-cancelling headphones like the ones in the picture here, uh, the ones which enable you to walk around completely undisturbed, whatever racket may be taking place uh, in uh, wherever, whatever situation you find yourself in, however loud it may be. In a sense, that's the kind of picture that the psalm is giving us here. Amidst the chaos, the Lord is present refreshing the soul. Now, we don't know for sure exactly what moment in Old Testament history the psalmist has in mind as he writes about this here. It may well be the the siege that you can find in 2 Kings 18 when Hezekiah was king and the Assyrians were besieging Jerusalem. But whatever the historical details, the writer's point is very clear. In the city of God, and he's looking ahead to the heavenly city here, there is peace. Not because nothing is happening out there in the world, certainly in the case of Jerusalem 3,000 years ago. No, it's peace amidst the storms and the chaos. She will not fall, verse 5, because this is the city where God dwells. He is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. When the world is in crisis and when everything seems to go wrong in life, life falls apart, it's entirely natural to ask, well, where is God? 
Where is God in the midst of all of this? I imagine that at some point you will have had occasion to ask that question. Maybe some of us are even asking it at the moment. One of the most striking aspects of the Christian message is what the psalm says here. God is within her, within his city. The reassurance that, once again, the God of the Bible is not a distant God, you know, who made a world and then just stepped back and left it alone to see what would happen. That's far from the truth. Because this is the God who stepped into his world, who knows what it's like to experience life as a human being and to face the worst-case scenario. He's the God of Christmas and of Easter. The God who has stood with his people in trouble down through the years and who stands with the hurting today. God never promises in the Bible, either in the Old Testament or the New, that life will be easy for his people. Jesus never said that. But he promises again and again that he will never leave us. Now this is no hollow promise because this is no mean God. If you look at verse 6, God lifts his voice, the earth melts. He is the Lord Almighty, verse 7, that refrain that's repeated in verse 11, who is our fortress. Uh, don't be fooled by the caricatures that people sometimes have of God or of Jesus that are kind of soft focus or mystical, harmless. When we read the Bible, well, you may be surprised. Uh, he's less like a teddy bear, perhaps, and more like a grizzly bear. And when you're in danger, you don't want someone cute and cuddly standing by your side, do you? You want someone mighty and strong. Lift up your eyes, this psalm says. Lift your eyes to the Lord Almighty, who is a strong fortress. His presence is the thing that gives us unshakable confidence when life goes wrong. Trust in him. Do you know this God? Did you know that you can know him? And then finally, in verses 8 to 11, in God there will be lasting peace. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Now, the cry at the end of the First World War was never again, wasn't it? Sadly, it was only 21 years from 1918 to 1939. And in the years since 1945, it's been very much the same. Uh, there's a, a Wikipedia page which lists the armed conflicts taking place in 2023. Uh, seven of them are classified as major at the moment. That means more than 10,000 people have died in those conflicts this calendar year. Uh, you, you, you will think of some of them straight away. Others we may not have heard of. And there are many more which are classified as minor, which may still mean that hundreds or even a few thousand people have died this year. We long for peace, don't we? The promise of Psalm 46 is that one day there will be peace. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. No more bows or spears or shields. No more guns or bombs or missiles. And this is a promise which recurs throughout the scriptures. That one day there will be no more death or mourning or sorrow or pain. You might be a little bit surprised by the turn of phrase there in verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done. I don't know what you expect to hear next. The desolations he has brought on the earth. 
It's a reminder of one of the truths at the heart of Christianity, that lasting peace only comes through judgment of what is not right. Real peace needs to deal first with the causes of war. And it's a judgment which starts with you and with me. Because all of the conflicts and crises in the world today, whether they are between nations or within families, perhaps even our own families, all of those wars out there are outworkings of the war in here. Within the human heart, as we struggle and rebel, every one of us, against our Creator God, one day that struggle and all the pain that it causes will be no more, says the writer. The human approach to ending wars has been the same throughout history, hasn't it? Fight back, build a bigger weapon, get retribution, negotiate a ceasefire for a while. It's true of international conflicts and it's true of personal disputes. But God's approach to ending war is to enter into the fray, to step into his world and to take the full force of the conflict upon himself. That's the cross. What was Jesus doing at the cross? He was fighting a war, the greatest of wars against sin and death and hell for you and for me. Glenn Scrivener, in his poem, To End All Wars, describes the cross of Christ like this. A king made meek, a power made weak, to stand and turn the other cheek, to take the blow, absorb disgrace, and rise to give again his face, in grace undimmed and arms unfurled, to bless and pacify the world. And because of the cross, verse 10 of Psalm 46, Jesus says to us, Be still and know that I am God. Now I know Christians like to put those words on kind of soft focus posters with pictures of sunsets and flowers or sing them to gentle meditative tunes. But this is a command here in verse 10. Be still. Stop your fighting. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And he will be. And that is what a world in darkness and full of trouble needs. And it is Jesus' promise. And it's a promise we can believe in our world of pain today. And it is a world of pain, isn't it? Because he came and he acted on it. He did not just speak the words. So today, on Remembrance Sunday in our world which is broken in many ways, and when it often feels like we are living broken lives, we will not fear, verse 1, because God is our refuge and our strength. The Lord Almighty is with us. But more than that, we live with hope for the future, even in a world of chaos and conflict, because the Lord of Psalm 46 is also the faithful God of death and resurrection. Now, you may have heard of Corrie ten Boom. Um, she was the, the Dutch lady in the Second World War who was sent to a Nazi concentration camp because she helped to rescue thousands of Jews from the Holocaust. She said this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known 
God. One day, God will do the things that he has promised. The unbelieving world tells us we must just hold on to all the good things we can find in life because they will not last. But Jesus says, hold on amid the hard things in life because there is everlasting joy to come. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen.